Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Proceeds. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It is March 3rd, 2022. We've talked a lot about franchise economics. We've talked a lot about what teams are worth. Is it really when you get 1.2 billion that you get 1.2 billion? Gross. Ooh, that's so gross. Net. Net is actually what's in your pocket at the end after you've paid everybody off all of your debts, all of your taxes, which are like debts all of your employees who are owed money, all of your players, anything net is the actual amount of money that you have after selling something for you to buy something else with. Forgetting a 1031 like-kind exchange, which is one of the crazy provisions in the IRS code, which says you can sell something and buy something that's just like it and then not have to pay any capital gains tax or any gain at all. Let's not talk about 1031s. Let's talk about net proceeds. Why? Because the Chelsea Football Club is for sale. This is not a small story. There's a lot of nuance here that we have to talk about. Chelsea Football Club, obviously EPL, they won the Champions League last year. We're talking about a very successful franchise, a very valuable franchise. The Denver Broncos are for sale here in the U.S. in the NFL, and everyone's jumping all over each other. Who's going to buy it? Will it be the Manning cast? Will it be Elway joining a group? Who could it be? How will it be? Will it get $4 billion? Yada, yada, yada. Eh. The NFL and MLB only wish that they could have franchise valuations like the EPL. The fan affinity, the value in the EPL, it's a different world. Anytime you think that the NFL and the Super Bowl is such a big deal. Coca told me something yesterday that made me smile. Of course, it may not have been Coca, but I'm almost positive it was. It doesn't matter. F1, the show that I'm watching, Drive to Survive, all of their 21 races. They have 21 Grand Prix races around the world. Their new season starts on March 20th in Bahrain, actually. Apparently, more people watch each one of those races than watch the Super Bowl. EPL is the same type of thing. So you've got Abramovich, and I'm going to refer to him as Abramovich. I really want to call him Yablonowitz. Yablonowitz. John Belushi fans will be smiling right now. Continental Divide, one of my all-time, it's a top 20 movie. I think it's in my top 20. Continental Divide. Yablonowitz. So Abramovich has a problem, and here's the problem. It's hard to pretend that you're not involved with Putin when you are involved with Putin. It's hard to say that you are now an Israeli citizen and you have turned your back on Russia and that you are trying as hard as you can to right the wrongs that you have 
committed during your entire life as someone who has gotten rich off the back of poor people. And I don't mean in the way that owners do now and how, oh, you were the president of a team and you made money off the backs of people buying tickets. No, no, no. I'm talking about imagine if as president of the Marlins, when we brought people into the ballpark, whether there were 5,000 or 20,000, we stripped them, not just of their clothes, but of all human rights, abused them, fed them rusty water with this. Well, all right, don't get me started. The water was totally fine. Yes, it was $10 a bottle, but that's not my point. Don't compare what owners do here in the United States to fans and all of your views of upper class, lower class, middle class, and all the inequities. It's a little different when we're talking about absolute human rights abuses, absolute dictatorship, absolute power where you buttress your life and your lifestyle on the backs of those who can't afford bread. Am I reminding you of Cuba by chance? So Abramovich spends his life getting rich, buys a bunch of stuff, whether it's yachts or businesses, football clubs. Having the relationship with Putin is extremely profitable. Make no mistake, the way that the Russian oligarchs make their money is the same way that Putin makes his money. It's the same way that leaders of regimes like in Russia, it's all fraudulently gotten gains. But Abramovich has led a successful team on the pitch, bunch of trophies, maybe 19 trophies in his 19 years. He's seen the value of the team increase, which is common, obviously. We've talked about franchise valuations. Russia has been misbehaving for, I don't know, decades, maybe more, centuries, millennia. But when they decided to invade Ukraine, it took on a slightly different tone in the international community. And all of a sudden, Abramovich found himself in a bit of a pickle. Two days ago, he tried to get out of that pickle by saying that he was going to put control of the team into the hands of his board of trustees of the foundation. And when we covered it on Nothing Personal, we wanted to make the point to you that that was eyewash. That Abramovich was simply trying to pacify the growing global vitriol that was headed his way. The growing global financial sanctions that were heading his way. He was trying to figure out the best way to continue to live the life that he's been living while trying to gain distance from the absolute nightmare that is Putin and what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Not more than two days later, after years of vociferously saying, of course I'm not selling, he announced that he is now selling the Chelsea Football Club. And it sent waves around the international community of sports owners because we are going to get now a valuation of a top EPL team. But is it enough that Abramovich is selling? 
or does he need to do something more in order to improve his standing socially, potentially to keep his freedom? Hmm. Am I going too far? I don't think so. So he's the type of owner that doesn't make a lot of statements, and he decided to make a second one in three days. He wants to address the speculation and media over the past few days in relation to my ownership in Chelsea FC. As I've stated before, I've always taken decisions with the club's best interest at heart. We all say that. In the current situation, I have therefore taken the decision to sell the club. That's epic, by the way. As I believe this is in the best interest of the club, the fans, the employees, as well as the club sponsors and partners. So what's changed since he's been called on to sell for his ties to Putin? The only thing that changed is Putin invaded Ukraine. The people who called him to sell were calling him to sell because all of his power had been a power of abuse and misuse and obtuse and shantuse. But now he's selling. But then he got to our word of the day. And it was pretty good. This has never been about business nor money for me, but a be up. <laughs> I can't even get through it, Coca. But this is important enough that we should edit that out. And, and, and Okay, four, six, nine. Abramovich continued in his statement by saying this has never been about business nor money for me, but about pure passion for the game and club. Of course, he wasn't a fan of Chelsea until he bought it, but we can talk about that in a minute. Of course, it's not about business or money. Nothing's about business or money. I have instructed my team, get ready, this is it. This is when we start saying, oh my God, Mr. Abramovich, you're the greatest person who ever lived. I've instructed my team to set up a charitable foundation where all net proceeds from the sale will be donated. Hmm. That sounds like a word of the day. The foundation will be for the benefit of all victims of the war in Ukraine. I could give you an argument that would be pretty cogent that Abramovich himself is a victim of the war in Ukraine. It didn't say people who've been hit by mortars. It didn't say people who've been displaced and homeless and are going to be worldwide refugees. It didn't say only Ukrainians. Are there Russian citizens who are victims of the war in Ukraine? Could I argue if I were Abramovich's lawyer that he's a victim of the war in Ukraine given that he's totally innocent with no ties at all to Putin yet his money is frozen his assets are squozen. Why would he have to put in there that the charitable foundation is going to get net proceeds? Well, you now know what net proceeds are, don't you folks? Net proceeds. So let's say the team is worth four billion pounds or about six million dollars. He's... <laughs> It's not a laughing matter, but I can't stop laughing about the purposeful choice of words that of his lawyers. The team has about one and a half to two billion pounds, just call it 
two plus billion dollars of debt. But guess who owns the debt? Abramovich. Abramovich, when the team needed money, lent money to the team. And in return, the team gave him a note, quote unquote, an IOU that we will pay you back the money you have lent us with X interest rate. Let's say the going rate is 8%, 7%, more than you can get in stock markets, more than you can get in the bond market. And if you know that your team is worth more than the amount of debt, then you have made a great investment with your cash. When you invest in the losses of your team by not going to a bank, but by going to yourself and you become the bank, you put money into the team. And when the team is sold, all debt gets repaid. And in the meantime, the debt gets repaid at a compounded interest rate. There is no owner who invests in his team by giving that team debt without interest. Benevolent. I don't think so. So the team sells for $6 billion. Then they have to pay $2 billion back to Abramovich. Then they pay taxes. He pays taxes on the gain. Then they have to pay out any employment contracts or any other expenses. Then he may have to set aside money the way Herb Cole did in the Milwaukee when he sold the bucks and took part of the sales proceeds to help build a new arena in Milwaukee. So there could be a percentage of the money that goes into a new stadium because they need one in Chelsea. There are a million ways from an accounting standpoint that I could have the net proceeds of a sale be close to zero, no matter what the profit was from the purchase price to the sale price. Do I think that Abramovich will have zero net proceeds in the sale of this team? No. But I also know that he is not exactly walking away from every dollar he's invested. However, he did say, and this is what's interesting, he said that he's not going to ask for any debt to be repaid. Hmm. Is it possible that he put in $2 billion into the team and he's just going to write it off as people are reporting? The only way you write off $2 billion is when you've got $2 billion of gains elsewhere that you are also trying to liquidate in order to keep your lifestyle going when your other assets are potentially getting frozen. Let me just give you a little nugget here. And that is Mr. Abramovich is going to get his debt repaid. He's going to walk away from this transaction with billions of dollars, Chuck Rhodes. Billions. Everybody who is saying that he is trying to make up for all of the decisions he's made for the associations he has, which of course he still denies, does not understand business. Those who say it's not about business nor money are misleading you. Those who put in the word net proceeds 
all net proceeds to charity. How many times have you seen that? A little detour here. When there's charities and they'll, they'll do a function or a dinner and they'll say all net proceeds to charity. That means the expense of the dinner, the expense of all the employees who are often employees who are related to the people who started the charities because they're on the payroll and they get a part of their payroll allocated to whatever that charitable event is, all net proceeds. You can actually go online and search what that means for many charities, what percentage of money that you give to that charity will be used for its overhead, but that still does not account for individual events or individual transactions where there's a specific statement about all net proceeds will go to charity. It's so misleading that it's hard to believe. But don't worry, he's not going to ask for his $1.5 billion in loans to be repaid. Wait to see. I, you can't even make an official wait to see, Coco, because it'll never be public. You will never know what happened with this transaction. You will never know except the enterprise value, the gross sales price, gross sales price, 6 billion, 4 billion pounds, 5.5 billion pounds, $6.2 million, $6.9 million, whatever the case may be. We will never know how much money Abramovich walked away with. So get used to it. All right, Coca. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. So many of you listening to Nothing Personal and watching on, on YouTube, the Nothing Personal with David Samson YouTube channel, which just go to YouTube and search it and then hit subscribe. You come up to me and say, you know, I'm seven-eighths baked. Right now I'm writing to you 15, 16 baked. I'm in. Enjoy the movie Half-Baked. So you want to talk to Samson's when you ask me a question on Twitter at David P. Samson, and we have fun with him. David, hi. You didn't say hi. You just said David. Fair enough. I'm saying hi back. Is it normal that so many players are talking but no owner is? Well, I appreciate that you're asking that because yesterday was epic in Major League Baseball. So you've got the commissioner who is the spokesperson for the 30 owners. You've got the union led by Tony Clark. We've talked about the lockout. We've got a bit of a different angle today. The angle is post-cancellation of games, where the first two series were canceled on Tuesday. God bless me. The second week of games will be canceled next Tuesday. They're only going to cancel one week at a time. But now you're into the strategy part. The strategy part is where owners and players get together and they decide not what their appetite is for missed games or where they want to be on CBT or any of the other issues, revenue sharing, arbitration. Now that what they're talking about is where are we in PR? And I think it's very safe to say that Rob Manford is losing the PR battle currently. It's also safe to say that's his job. Rob Manford is not in any way sitting home, having any discussions with any members of his amazing family, any grandkids, anybody in Major League Baseball, any owner, about the fact that Rob is being sullied publicly and on Twitter. 
at all. He knows what his job is. His job is to be front and center because owners want to be loved. They have such a desire that you love them even though you don't and never will. They have this ego that's insatiable. They're never going to be the bearers of bad news. So Rob Manford makes statements, doesn't necessarily accomplish what he's trying to accomplish in terms of his persona. But what about the players? The players get together and they have a very concerted, organized, strategic communications plan that involves social media. Why? Because the fans are on social media and generally the Twitterverse and other such universes of social media are going to be way more sympathetic to players versus quote unquote billionaire owners and faceless owners. You all know the owners of your team by name. Some of you may know them by face. You also know their specialty is not social media because they are old and white. But you do know that whatever happens with your team that's negative is the owner's fault. Whatever happens with your team that is positive is because of the great players on the team. So the players have this inherent advantage. We know this is front office and we try to use that. We certainly understand it. So the players have said, we're going to do a social media campaign where we are going to release tweets and Instagram shots where we are trying to elicit not sympathy because no one's going to sympathize with players, but an understanding that we are the good guys. And it started yesterday with some who would consider the best player in baseball, Mike Trout. Mike Trout is not the winningest player in baseball. Mike Trout has way fewer rings, has infinitely fewer rings than I do. Mike Trout doesn't talk publicly a lot. Mike Trout doesn't enjoy being the face of baseball, doesn't want to be that. Mike Trout doesn't want a whole lot of attention other than what he does on the field. Mike Trout is coming off an injury, as you may recall, where he didn't play a majority. How many, how many games did he play last season? It was a small number. He got hurt. I'm going to say he got hurt in May. I don't know why I'm thinking that. And then missed the rest of the season. But he released a statement, which he doesn't do often and certainly didn't do during the negotiations. He said, I want to play. I love our game, but I know we need to get this CBA right. Okay. Instead of bargaining in good faith, MLB locked us out. That is false on its face. And I'm not taking, you know, I haven't taken the owner's side of this. You know, I haven't taken the player side of this. I've explained to you exactly why we are where we are. You know why we locked out and so does Mike Trout. I said, we God dog it. That doesn't mean that I'm still a president. It means I'm just used to saying that word, as you know, which is why I put a dollar into the bet jar every day that I say it. MLB locked out strategically and legally. That was the reason. And practically. If you don't lock out the players and you play a season without an agreement, the players can strike at any time. That's what happened in 1994. Trout knows it, but instead of bargaining in good faith, now, he didn't write that himself. The union is giving these players the talking points and telling them what to say, but that is a loaded statement. That is a legal term. 
because you are required to bargain in good faith. And if this ever goes to litigation, which it can if they bargain to an impasse, and the players or the employees or the laborers argue and prevail that management did not bargain in good faith, that will be an extremely costly decision. So the owners always, quote unquote, bargain in good faith which is why they were there till three o'clock in the morning the night before and why they extended the deadline and why they did proposals. Good faith does not require, and this is where the players got confused, that after a lockout, you have to submit a proposal within X number of days. And you're gonna read everywhere. The owners did not propose anything for the first 43 days. They let six weeks go by between X and Y. That is not relevant at all in terms of the threshold of what it means to bargain in good faith. But Mike Trout said they didn't bargain in good faith, so there you go. Next, instead of negotiating a fair deal, Rob canceled games. Come on, Mike, that's not what happened. Both sides were negotiating, trying to get as much as they could. No deal was reached, and the calendar dictated that the first two series had to be moved and you knew it, the owners knew it, everyone knew it. And then he got to the end, and this is where I'm gonna have a little fun, if that's okay. Players stand together for our game, for our fans, and for every player who comes after us, we owe it to the next generation. Who does? I wanna hear from players making the minimum. I wanna hear from players who aren't gonna get the $400 million contract, Mike. I wanna hear from the people who turned down an extra $125,000 in minimum salary this year, who could have made $700,000 and now are in line to make $180,000 or $15,000 a month. If they pay that for an entire 12 month period, that would be $180,000. If they only pay it for the six months of the season, yeah, do the math, that's $90,000. The veterans in baseball are saying, we're not gonna take the $15,000 so we can keep the strike fund that we've built up loaded for bear and we can wait out the owners. Great, good luck with that. But don't speak on behalf of the players who make up the majority of your union when you're not them and you will never be them. You could be locked out for the rest of your contract and your lifestyle will not change. Now, you're not Abramovich, I grant you that, but you're also not buying a 500-foot yacht. And what about this concept that union people have of paying it forward, doing it for the next generation of players? I'm in. You know how I feel about charity and the amount of money that I raise and the things that I do and how important it is to plant seeds for trees whose shade you will never enjoy. I subscribe to all of those principles. And I even do things based on those principles. But every time I tell you I'm doing that, there is also a current benefit. There is a reason, a strategic reason. We talk about benevolence in the beginning of this show. 
There is no one in this world, and I'm not overly cynical, I am moderately overly cynical. There is no one in this world who is simply 100% benevolent. Mother Teresa, fine. The Pope, negative. Who is it? Nobody. We owe it to the next generation. So that's Mike Trout. All right, fair enough. Jason Hayward. He wanted to explain to you all another thing the owners did. He said MLB always wanted to delay the start of the regular season as owners view games in April as debt. Okay, Jason, let me just explain to you what debt is. Debt is when you actually take something that you then have to pay back. So April are definitely games that do not make as much money at the gate as games later in the year for several of the teams. For teams who draw 4 million people, 3 million people, 2 million people, 2.5 million people, the April games matter greatly. For teams who draw 7,000 people per game, the games in April mean the same as the games in September. For teams that draw 7,000 in April, but then are in the race and draw 10,000 people in September, there's more money made in September, but the amount of losses that come from the season are split pretty evenly between April and September. While it is true that there are more weather problems in April, there is zero difference in the largest form of revenue for teams locally Zero difference between April 15th and September 15th. TV contracts pay you for your games, and they view the games in April the way they view the games in September. It doesn't matter if the ratings are higher in September versus April, and you hear people like at Forbes telling you where ratings are. The ratings are up 6.9% across baseball, but the following five teams' ratings have gone down 4.2%. We don't care. No one uses ratings inside the negotiating room when you are getting a new TV deal. It's all about subscribers and subscription revenue. And then a tiny bit about advertising revenue. Oh, God, your ratings are up so much. Do we get a raise? No. So when the owners did agree that they were willing to miss games, which they did, it had nothing to do with the month. I've been in the room, folks. There are teams who, when they open the gates, lose money. Therefore, they want to play fewer games because they will lose less money. However, there is no guarantee in this collective bargaining agreement negotiation that when the season starts again, that part of the negotiation will not be that players get paid their full salaries even though they're not playing the full number of games, even though baseball said that was never going to happen. So Jason got that a bit wrong. Then they had Andrew Miller talking, who has been on the executive council, sort of the lead player, if you will, along with Max Boris Scherzer. He wanted to make sure the owners were aware because this quote was meant for owners. Every quote was meant for fans. Other one, this one was meant for owners. We're prepared. We've seen this coming in a sense. It's unfortunate, but this isn't new to us. This is not shocking. 
it is important for the players to make it clear to the owners that they're not going to blink by missing a paycheck. And remember, the players don't miss paychecks until March 31st. There will be no deal done before March 31st. Today is only March 3rd. The next 28 days will not see a deal. The players will miss paychecks. They will then have a renew, a renewed social strategy where they will say, while it is difficult on the fans, difficult on everybody, hurting the industry, the owners should not think that because we are missing paychecks that we are losing our resolve. And the players are starting now. Several other players took the time just to go off on owners, Lance McCullers. And what about Marcus Stroman? Manford's got to go. These players are rallying around the fact that they hate Manford, thinking that that will have some sort of impact, when the only thing that matters is do 23 owners support Manford. It doesn't matter if all the players blame Manford. Manford has nothing to do with this. There are 23 or more owners who are dictating the strategy in this collective bargaining deal, period. So Stroman can say what he wants, McCullers, Hayward, Miller, Trout, they can all do whatever they want. And the total impact it will have is zero. That said, right now, Rob Manford and the owners are sitting there deciding which of the owners are going to talk and when. How will they put someone from the ownership side in front of you, the fans, to try to explain from their standpoint why this is happening and have it not come from Rob's mouth? Will it be Hal Steinbrenner? Will it be Randy Levine, the president of the Yankees? How about John Henry? How about an owner of a small market team? I thought very clearly the greatest spokesperson for the owners would have been Derek Jeter. That's what I thought they were going to do as a former player, as the highest ranking minority executive in baseball, as someone who's beloved by fans, having Derek Jeter get out there and say, listen, I've been on both sides. I understand what the players are saying because I was in that union. But now that I'm on this side, I can only tell you that these are real economic issues that impact our ability to field a winning team. That would have been powerful. Nah, he got fired too fast. So the answer is, it is very normal that players are talking. It is not normal that no owner is. And you are going to see that change in the coming weeks. Because after the debacle that was the Rob Manford press conference and his press availabilities, the owners are strategizing about the better way to communicate. So as an example, when games are missed again next week, while Rob may make that announcement, while it may be done in a statement or a press release, you are going to see in front of the camera someone else in addition to Rob. Wait to see. Not official, but wait to see. You know what I mean by official, right? For all people new to nothing personal, official is we have an actual way to see, which is we tell you something's going to happen. If it happens, we revisit it. If it doesn't happen, we revisit it because I can't stand people with a microphone who give you hot takes and they're full of gas and they haven't done anything. They don't know anything. And when they're wrong, they have no accountability. When I'm wrong, I tell you I'm wrong. And the reason why I'm not making it an official way to see 
is because we have one later, which we may get to. All right, when we come back, I watched a movie very late last night. But I'm reviewing a movie I watched, I can't remember when, a couple days ago, five days ago, with one of my favorite actresses. We will be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How are you? Matthew Koch and I are very appreciative that we have followed up our best month in February with our best start for three days in March. I think we're just growing. Let's keep going. It's too much fun every day. 45 minutes, we try to entertain, educate, talk about issues on and off the field, bring you behind the curtain, and we also review a movie every day because I watch a movie every day. I watched Cruella starring Emma Stone. I have never, here it comes, Coca. I've never seen 101 Dalmatians. I just never have. I never saw the uh, cartoon, the animated. I never saw any live action, the Glenn Close. I just never saw any of the 101 Dalmatian movies. Cruella is a different take on 101 Dalmatians. And Emma Stone plays this sort of geeky assistant type to Meryl Streep's The Devil Wears Prada. But on the side, she's Batman. So she dresses as Cruella and no one recognizes her, trying to compete with her fashion designer boss. But then she's this sort of meek personality, sort of like, is it Lois Lane in Superman or Clark Clark Kent in Superman? In any case, Cruella is actually nominated for an Academy Award or two. Emma Stone has so much range from La La Land to Superbad. Don't forget that she was in Superbad as Jonah Hill's love interest, which is hard to even say that it was a love interest, but they were, yeah, I guess they ended the movie holding hands. I was purely entertained by Cruella, and I missed every single reference to 101 Dalmatians. Not one of them. Not some of them, every one of them that I read. I didn't want to pay $19.99 on Disney Plus, but now you don't have to. So if you have it, I'd watch it. Cruella. So one of the things that people do when they are trying to make more money is they hire an agent. Agents negotiate. Agents can be the bad guy. Agents can make sure that you're protected. I've got the greatest agent of all time. His name is Jerry at UTA. He and I are aligned in every way. So good at what he does. 
An agent's job is generally to get the most money for the client by generating competition. Sometimes you don't need to generate it. It just happens. Sometimes people come to you and say, we want you. And then someone else says, we want you. And then you go to someone else and say, don't you want him? Agents sometimes have conflicts of interest. And we talked about yesterday in our Kyler Murray segment, which if you didn't hear, you should listen to because it was a good one, if I do say so myself. And Kyler Murray's agent is the same as Cliff Kingsbury's agent, which is strange because Cliff's a coach and Kyler Murray is a player. The Cardinals were asked in football, we're talking about the football Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL. They were asked by their star player to please sign me to an extension. And they answered yesterday by not signing Murray to an extension, but by signing their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, to an extension. In addition, they did Steve Kime, their GM, but I'm focused on Cliff Kingsbury because I wanted to go through with you briefly how that went. The agent calls up the owner of the Cardinals and says, listen, we got a Kyler Murray situation here. You know that, right? He's going into his fourth year. He really wants a commitment by you. He needs that to be, you know, nine figures or more. And I know that you may not be ready to do that, but while we're talking, what about the 11 wins that Arizona got last year? You've got a head coach who is young, vibrant, attractive, smart. You sure you don't want to sign him to an extension? Because there's teams who want him. I'm fielding calls left and right. He would get hired again in two seconds flat. And Arizona says, well, how do you feel if we don't extend Murray, but we extend your other client? Because what's your deal? Do you get the same 5% from Murray as you do from Cliff? I know it's not enough, but it'll keep your lights on. So are, are you okay if we pacify you and just sign Kingsbury? And then we'll deal with Murray later. I don't think we'll offer an extension, but eventually we will. But don't be upset because you'll have some runway with some cash flow. And the agent says, no, no, I'm really, I, I got to take care of Murray. And the owner says, no, you, you know, you are taking care of Murray, but what about this? Makes me laugh. Cliff Kingsbury. It's pretty interesting timing, isn't it? You think that Kyler Murray cares that Cliff Kingsbury got an extension? Or do you think the agent for Kingsbury and Murray called Murray and said, I can work with these people. I'm telling you, I've got a great relationship. It's all going to work out just fine. All right, the Knicks suck. They were so close to getting John Morant. One pick away. Is that what it was, Coca? One pick away? Were they the third pick that year behind, and they took that guy from Duke? I don't know why I'm even thinking about that. The Knicks got crushed by the Sixers. They gave up another big lead. We're 24-19. James Harden made his home debut. There is more love for James Harden now, as though they don't remember how much love they had from him in Brooklyn and in Houston. Will he wear out his welcome before a ring is put on his finger? I don't know, but I'll tell you, Philadelphia with Harden is a better team than they were with Ben Simmons, period. Because Ben Simmons wasn't playing. Sixers 10.5 was a winner. Tonight, Kevin Durant is back for the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie Irving is still not vaccinated. And for whatever reason, the Nets 
are getting three points from the Miami Heat, who lost last night, giving up a big lead at the end to your Milwaukee Bucks. Back-to-back for the Heat? Nah, Nets plus three and Durant's return. Now, of course, the line will move a ton because he won't return, and then it'll be Heat minus 10 or something. Anyway, Nets plus three. All right, I want to end with our wait to see of the day because it's good. The Miami Dolphins held a press availability like all teams are at the Combine. I want to talk, if we can get to it tomorrow, about Matt LaFleur and his comments about Aaron Rodgers. But there's media availability. So Chris Greer, the GM for the Dolphins, met the media and said two things that were of note. One, we are not trading for Deshaun Watson. Two, we are keeping Tua and we are supportive of Tua. He was then asked, and this is a candidate, folks. Get ready. It's a candidate for quote of the year. Chris Greer was asked whether he thinks Tua could become an elite quarterback. And his response, and I quote, I can't say he can't be. Huh? I'm sorry? Was that? How many negatives was that? Could you rephrase that? All right, I'll take away the negatives because it was two negatives. That means it was a positive. I can say he can be. Well, why don't you just say it then? Can you imagine if you're Tua after you've been totally shat on last season with the obvious approach to wanting Deshaun Watson, then you read that the Dolphins wanted to get Tom Brady and Sean Payton Then they hire a coach, McDaniel, who says, oh, no, I've got a plan for two, and that's why I was hired, and it's all going to be great. Then your GM says, I can't say he can't be when asked whether he could become elite. you got to be better than that. You've got to be in front of the media when you've made a decision to go with a player. You double down on that decision when the media asks you, and you come out strong and hard even if you don't believe it. And what, Greer wasn't prepared for that question at the Combine? Of course, it's the first question that's going to be asked. Do you believe in Tua? He's the only quarterback we wanted, and we believe more in him today than the day we drafted him. Bringing in Coach McDaniel and combining him with our improved team, Tua will be the elite quarterback that we know he was going to be from the second we laid eyes on him years before the draft. We could start with that, or we could go with, I can't say he can't be. Boy, that really is something, Chris. That really is. Well, by them saying they don't want Deshaun Watson, that means he's got one fewer option out there in Houston. Lovey Smith wants Deshaun Watson to be gotten rid of, or he wants him to be activated. The Texans are not activating Watson. There's still 22 cases against him. Nothing has changed since last season when he was a healthy scratch making $10 million. The Texans brought in Lovey Smith, and if he wants a chance to win, he needs some sort of resolution about the Watson situation. Well, I'll give you a resolution, Lovey. Deshaun Watson will not play a down for your Houston Texans in 2022. Not one down. And I'm making that my official way to see. Does that mean it's guaranteed that he's going to be traded? Hmm. Not saying that. 
But if he's not traded, he'll still be a healthy scratch because this is not going away anytime soon. And he could be suspended once these cases take care of themselves and none of them are going to go to trial. But wait to see. Deshaun Watson will not play one down for your Texans, Lovey Smith. Not for the Dolphins, not for the Texans, not for either. I can't say that it could be potentially the end of the show. I could just say it's business. This is nothing personal.